0: Welcome to episode 202 of the Word Encounter. Uh, we concluded almost chapter 12 yesterday, so we're going to be starting very shortly in chapter 13. Um, let me just finish up 12 because the last verses 57 and 58 and 59 I didn't cover in chapter 12 yesterday, and I think they're very important. So um, it says settling accounts. And so uh, in verse 57, it says, this is Jesus talking. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary uh, to the ruler, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hand you over to the bailiff and the bailiff throw you into prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. So let's go over this. Why don't you judge uh, for yourselves what is right? In other words, An accuser is coming against you, and justifiably so. Okay? In other words, you are guilty of what the accuser is accusing you of. And it says, as you are going with your adversary, your accuser, to the ruler, i.e. to the judge, it says, make an effort to settle with them on the way. So Instead of getting to court, instead of going before the judge, why don't you make an effort to settle this thing before you get there? Why? It says, then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hand you over to the bailiff and the bailiff throw you in the prison. And so you're going to be accused. I mean, you're going to be convicted, you know, of being guilty in this thing. So make every effort to try to settle this before you get there. In other words, what Jesus is saying is you can pay now. Humble yourself and pay now. Or if you're going to be stubborn and you want to go before the court and whatnot, you can pay much more later see so pay now or pay much more later you know the saying goes pay now or pay later but it's really pay now or pay much more later and so jesus is telling them that if you if you get to the court and you're convicted you know of being guilty because you are he says i tell you the truth that you will not get out of there until you have paid every last penny this implies that you will not be going any you will be extended no mercy at all you know, until you have paid the last penny. And if we go back to the Levitical rules, uh, I forget how much uh, you had to pay if you were accused of something found guilty. You had to pay much more than what it was you were accused of taking, stealing, or whatever. And so, you know, this is just, uh, this is just a good thing to do. And, and he's also, I believe, talking to believers. He's not just talking about people being guilty. If you have an issue with another brother or sister in the, in the Lord, settle this thing you know, come together, settle this thing. If you're wrong, humble yourself, admit you're wrong, you know, and seek forgiveness. Settle this thing. Don't let these things drag on and drag out. Okay. Because you're going to end up paying a much higher price later. And I think that is a very critical lesson that we all, um, learn and, and, and execute. Okay. Chapter 13. It says, repent or perish. First one, at that time, some people came and reported to him about the um, Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And so what we find is that uh, some people were going to uh, make atonement for their sins at the ceremonial uh, animal sacrifices, and Pilate had been responsible for killing some Galileans and their blood was mixed with the animal blood in the sacrifices. And he responded to them, and so they went to complain about this to Jesus, and he responded to them, um, do you think that these Galileans uh, were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Now, here's, here's an important thing that sticks out in my mind. Whenever we see something bad happening to somebody, you know, we go, I know my mind goes to, I, I, in the back of my mind, I wonder what they did wrong you know i wonder what they did wrong they must have done something wrong for this to happen to them and so what jesus is saying cuz cuz when we do that we're putting ourselves out of their situation out of their condition cuz we didn't do that bad thing whatever it was that caused them to 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 realize this this thing that happened to them so but what Je- what jesus is saying is like okay <laughs> subconsciously he's, he's like you think that you are not eligible for this. You know, you think that you may not be eligible for this. So he's telling them, he's saying, but you're, you're as guilty. Even if you didn't do that specific thing that they may have done, you are as guilty as they are. And you are deserving of the same treatment unless you repent. See, he says, unless you repent, you will all perish. And so it's important when we look at uh, uh, people and the cir- circumstances that they're in and whatnot in, in the back of our minds, we may be thinking, well, I'm not that bad or that's not going to happen to me. Or, you know, maybe on the on the DL, we're thinking, well, they deserve that or whatever. We're, we're putting ourselves out of their situation and circumstance. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> you are just as deserving as they are <laughs> unless you repent. The parable of the barren fig tree in verse six. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He told the vineyard worker, "Worker, listen, uh, for three years, I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even, or why, well, yes, why should it even waste the soil? And so we have the vineyard owner you know, looking after this fig tree or his people looking after this fig tree. It's not producing any fruit. you saying, cut it. It's a waste of soil. Cut it down. Then it says in verse eight, but he replied to him, sir, leave it. Uh, leave it this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Perhaps it will produce fruit next year. But if not, you can cut it down. And so what we have here in this parable is we have, um, uh, the, the the owner of the vineyard and we have the worker and in the in the owner in this parable is god god the father okay so god the father has run out of patience with this tree you know and he's saying cut it down because it's a waste of soil in other words he is he has uh, run out of patience with his people and he's saying it's a waste of life cut it down whatever but then you have this worker who is representative of Jesus who's making intercession for the tree. He said, wait a minute, wait on it, let's give it one more year. (laughs) Let's not destroy it yet. Let's give it one more year. Let's see what happens in one more year. And so Jesus is forevermore making intercession before the Father for us, for our foolishness. And so he's trying not to have us get what we deserve. And so he said, "Give him more time." You know, he's being gracious and merciful towards us, giving us time to get ourselves together. He says, "Don't, don't, don't do it to him yet, Father God. Don't do it to him yet. Let let let's hold. Let's chill out for a second. Let's give them a little more time. Maybe they'll come to their senses." But even Jesus. Can run run out of patience because in verse nine, it says, perhaps it will produce fruit next year. But if not. You can cut it down. And so we can exhaust Jesus's patience with our foolishness. Healing of a daughter of Abraham, verse 10, as he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for over 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her out. He called out to her, Woman, you are free of your disability. Then he laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. Now, what is the problem here? We can all probably guess it's the Pharisees. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath, responded by telling the crowd. There's a crowd around there. He healed this woman in front of the crowd. So then the leader of the... Um, of the synagogue got up and spoke to the crowd. He said, there are six days when work should be done. Therefore, come on those days to be healed and not on the Sabbath. But the Lord answered him and said, hypocrites, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he had said these things, all the adversaries were humiliated. But the whole crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things that he was doing. The parables of the, the parables of the mustard seed and uh, of the leaven. And we went over this in Matthew chapter 13, verses 32 through 33 in episode 183. I think the key verse here says it's like a mustard seed the kingdom of God it's like a it's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden it grew and became a tree and birds of the sky nested in its branches and so uh, the kingdom the kingdom of God starts as a little tiny mustard seed you know planted in us but then it grows it grows If we allow it to grow, if we water it, if we allow it to grow, if we water it, if we allow it to grow, if we water it, it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows into this big humongous tree that birds can actually nest in. See, and so we can grow into this big humongous tree of faithfulness, righteousness, and holiness of which people can come partake of and be introduced to the kingdom of God. The narrow way in verse 23, Lord, someone asked him, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able. Once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door, then you will stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up for us. He will answer you. I don't know you or where you're from. Then you will say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught us and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you are from. Get away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves thrown out. So he's saying, you're going to be very sorry for all you've done when you see all of the Old Testament prophets and your forefathers, everybody rejoicing in the kingdom of heaven, but you can't get in. They will come from the east and west, from the north and south to share the banquet in the kingdom of God. And so what the word is saying here is that people will be coming from all over the world. (laughs) You know, all over the place, non-Jews, non-Israelites. But some of you Israelites, you're just going to be looking, you know, on the outside. You're going to be on the outside looking in and you won't be able to get in. It says note this. Some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. See, there's, there's, a, there's a thought here that if you were blessed of resources and riches and other things, um, that you were blessed of God, that this was from the Lord. But Jesus, again, is trying to turn this upside down. He says, don't use what you see here on this earth in this time and place as a measure with regard to what's going on in heaven or how heaven prioritizes things. And so it says, Jesus inherited uh, Antipas verse 31. It says, at that time, some Pharisees came and told them, go get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. And so the Pharisees are coming forth as if they're concerned about Jesus's well-being. And so they're telling him, Herod's trying to kill you. Get out of here. They just wanted him to go. We're tired of you. We're tired of you talking about us. We just want you out of here. He said to them, go tell that fox, go tell Herod that fox, look, I'm driving out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will complete my work. Yet It is necessary that I travel today, tomorrow, and the next day because it is not possible for a prophet to perish outside of Jerusalem. So he's making his way to Jerusalem, and he says he knows the word. The word has to be fulfilled, so Jesus isn't afraid because he knows what the situation is. He says, just go tell that fox this is what I'm doing anyway. Jesus might have suspected that they were just... Or he may have even known that they were just throwing Hare's name in there in order to get him out. And he's like, no, 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 no. I've got work to do and I've got a place to be. Jesus' lamentation over Jerusalem. We find this in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 39 in episode 188. It says, Jerusalem, 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 in verse 34, who kills the prophets and stones, and stones those who are sent to her, how often? I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. So we find two things here. Jesus's desire, how often I wanted to gather your children. You know, my heart bled for uh, the desire to gather the children together. But you weren't willing. You didn't want me to. You wanted to keep doing your own thing. You know, and you didn't want me to. Chapter fourteen, it says the Sabbath uh, the Sabbath controversy. Verse one, uh, one Sabbath when he went in to eat uh, at the house of one of the leading Pharisees. See, Jesus didn't avoid the Pharisees. You notice here, <laughs> they kept questioning them. They wanted to stone him, kill him. He didn't avoid them. He kept confronting them. They were watching him closely. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus uh, asked the law experts and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. See, they had learned at this point. They weren't going to say anything because they didn't want to be embarrassed. He took the man, healed him, and sent him away. And to them he said, which uh, which of you whose son or ox falls into a well would not immediately go, pull him out on the Sabbath day? They could find no answer to these things. So Jesus is saying, look. I'm freeing this man from his ailment. Which one of you wouldn't go free your ox or your son who have f- fallen into a well? What, you're just gonna let him sit there because it's the Sabbath and not save his life? Teachings on humility. Verse 7. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you are invited by someone, these these verses are awesome. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor because a more distinguished person uh, than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. So he's saying, look. Don't go in and choose the best seat for yourself because somebody more important than you likely will come and you may be asked to get up and sit somewhere else and you'll be embarrassed. It says in verse 10, but instead of doing that, when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. So he's saying, look, don't do that. See, Jesus's wisdom is awesome. He said, don't do that. This is what you do. Go sit in the worst seat. And then when somebody notices where you're sitting, uh, they're going to say, no, 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 this can't be. They're going to go get you and honor you and tell you to sit somewhere else. Don't honor yourself. See, don't presume to honor yourself. Let somebody else do that. Verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is just a practical example of how to work this scripture out. In verse 12, he also said to the one who had invited him, uh, when you give a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. This is a tough one. He's saying don't do things for people. (laughs) Uh, that can do things back for you. Let's go on. <laughs> on the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, uh, and, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be blessed because they can't pay you back. The key. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus is saying, look, do for other people things that they can't do for themselves. In other words, bless other people that can't bless themselves in the way that you're about to bless them. You will not be paid back in this life on this earth. However, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And the question is, do you believe that? Because if you only do for people, the people that can do for you, then Jesus is saying, what good is that? The parable of the large banquet. Now, this is very similar to Matthew 22, verses 1 through 10, which we covered in episode 188 with regard to the wedding banquet. It's very similar. Um, Where the guy, the king goes, he's having a wedding banquet for one of his offspring and he invites the whole town or and they're they're saying that they're busy. They can't come. King gets mad, and he says, "Well, go essentially get anybody and bring them in. I just want this hall to be full." You know. So verse eighteen it says, "But without exception, they all began to make excuses." The first one said to him, "I have bought a field. I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me." So these are people that were the initial um, uh, invitees. And they're making excuses. Said Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I asked you to excuse me. And another one said, I just got married, and therefore I'm able to come. Therefore I'm unable to come, okay? And so all these people made excuses, and they didn't want to go to his wedding banquet or to his banquet. This is just talking about a banquet. In verse 24, then uh, the man says, For I tell you, not one of these people who were invited will enjoy my banquet, So this is an analogy to the lord the lord makes invitations to people to come he was making an invitation to the israelites come 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 they all made excuses they didn't want to go they all kept making excuses god kept inviting them he says okay fine you're going to be that way i'm going to go fill myself fill my hall with some other people and those that kept rejecting me you're not going to be able to get into my kingdom the cost of following Jesus in verse 25. Now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. Now, this is where context and and translations and verbiage is important. Um, If anyone comes to me and does not prioritize my relationship with them over his relationship with his mother, his father, his wife, his children, brothers, or sisters, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, God is saying, I am not going to be placed in second place. I have to be first in your life in relationship. And if it comes down to making decisions that benefit me or or a perceived benefit of you or a family member, you choose me. Now here's the thing: you have to trust God. See, because God wants wealth for us. The, the word says that He gives us good gifts. So we have to trust us because what we could think something or decision or a direction or path is in our best interest. And the Lord says, no, this is the way to go. And so you're thinking that it's this, but he in his infinite wisdom knows that it's this way. And so then it comes down to a question of trust. Do you trust even when it appears That your decision is the better of the two for yourself, your wife, your child, your family, whatever. Do you trust that it will be proven out in time that the Lord's direction and path will actually prove to be the more beneficial of the directions? See, so it's a trust issue. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You know, whoever, you know, it says, you know, whoever does, does not deny himself. Again, if we want to do something that is in opposition of the ways and the things of the Lord, are we willing to deny ourselves those things and do things in a way that's consistent uh, with the ways and the things of the Lord? Verse 28, 28, for which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if it has enough if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, uh, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will ridicule him saying this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Now, this is just general purpose, great wisdom and advice. Whenever it comes to doing pretty much anything, you know, you have to sit down and count the cost, See, you have to sit down and count the costs and say, okay, do I have enough to complete this task? It could be going on vacation. It could be buying Christmas gifts. It could be, uh, you know, relocating uh, to a different city, anything. Do I, and it's not just money, do I have enough emotional stability? Do I have enough resources? Do I have enough patience? Do I have enough? whatever, discipline, you know, do I have enough to complete this task or complete this thing? And before we embark upon that thing, whatever it is, we need to ask ourselves that question and we need to give ourselves an honest answer. In verse 33, let's drop down. It says in this is another tough one. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. What does this mean? Well, we have to come to the recognition that we don't own anything. See? We are stewards, not owners. We watch over things. The Lord has entrusted us with things and people to watch over, to steward over, not to own. Steward means to guide, to manage, you see. It says we manage our possessions. We don't own them, we manage them. Manage them for what, manage them how? We manage them for, the, uh, uh, for God's glory. We manage them so that we can bless others with those things. See? So, so we are managers, we're not owners. And if we can get this straight, in our heads that will free us from the anxiety of ownership. There is an anxiety that comes with ownership, you know? And so, and so those burdens are meant for God to carry, not for us to carry. It says in verse 34, now salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, uh, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. If something has been made unsalty, it's not fit for the soil or the dung pile. Throw it out. Let anyone who has ears, let him listen. The Lord is saying, look, my fire and my passion that I imparted into you to carry forth to build my kingdom, if that should wane, if that should fall off, if you should grow cold relative to the things, uh, to the things of God, It's essentially saying you're useless. (laughs) You're not even worthy of the manure pile. Throw it out. Now that's something to chew on. And with that, we are going to uh, terminate things for the day. Um, We'll pick things up in Luke chapter 15 tomorrow. And as is always the case, Jesus is sending out his invitation. He says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that I am Lord, that Jesus is Lord, then you shall not be put to shame and you shall, shall be saved. So let's say you do all that, you know, and you sincerely do it, because it, only if it's sincere, does it count. If it's not sincere, it doesn't count. What's, let's say you're new to this whole thing and you, what's your next step? In my opinion, this isn't my opinion, this isn't in the Word, your next step is to find a church that is Word-based. A lot of churches out there are not Word-based. A church that believes in the infallibility of God's Word as presented in the Bible. That doesn't mean they're going to be perfect people. There are no perfect people. That doesn't mean the pastor, priest, bishop, whatever you want to call them, the head person at that church, that doesn't mean that that person is going to be perfect because I can tell you he or she is not. But what it does mean and what one should look for is one that is sincere in their commitment to the word, in their imperfection, because they're in process like everybody else, trying to get better. So measure their sincerity of their commitment to the word. And with that, we are done. We'll pick things up again tomorrow, like I said, in chapter 15. Everybody stay safe, please. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should he not come between now and tomorrow, we'll see you tomorrow in episode 203, I believe it is. Take care. Bye-bye.